welcome back to another episode of the Geek Whispers. I'm Amy Lewis. I'm Matt Brender. And I'm John Mark Troyer. And we are kicking off the new year, some amount of episodes in, I don't know how many, but we're feeling refreshed. We hope you are too. And sometimes topics just swirl around. You listen to other podcasts, you read blogs, and things get stuck in your mind. So I'm going to take the blame for my latest area of interest, this concept of pioneers, town planners, and settlers. Matt just wrote a blog about it, and we have a very special guest on, Brian Gracely. Do you want to introduce yourself? Well, sure. My name is Brian Gracely. I've been on the show once or twice before, so excited to be back. Let's see, what am I doing? I'm uh, working full-time as, a, as an analyst for Wikibon, so the guys, uh, Stu Miniman and the guys who put on the cube at lots of events. Um, I've been creating a hobby of, of making barbecue, and I've got this addiction around watching this Netflix Making a Murderer show lately. So that's me. That's me in the last <laughs> couple months. Well, and... And when you're not grilling or watching murders, then you are podcasting. And the other yeah. sort of second things come in threes. I'm Southern. That's one of our superstitions, if not other people's. You're the second reference to pioneers and this kind of trimodal uh, approach. I heard it on your 2016 prediction show on your on the Cloudcast. Right, right. Yeah, Aaron, Aaron Delp and I, uh, we do the Cloudcast and we were talking about kind of stuff in the future and, and this this idea of of bimodal um, in IT has, has become a big deal. Gartner, I think, has even trademarked the term. And it's literally, I think, kind of causing a divide between the IT industry of people saying, okay, we are, we're, we're here where we are, and, and the future always happens, and how do we get to the future? And there's different approaches that people think about how we're going to get to the future and how that involves people and organizations and, and all those wonderful things. Some of my favorite topics, org charts, career paths, and, yep. of course, metrics. Brenda, do you want to hop in? And, and for anybody who hasn't, we'll, of course, put a link to um, Brenda's blog in the, the show notes. But can you give us kind of the high level what got you thinking about this? What made you blog about it? Give us all the sort of one-on-one so we can jump into the conversation. Sure, Amy. Yeah, I, I've been curious about some of the work coming out of Simon Wardley. I mean, he's been blogging for years, and I guess it's my time to catch up on his backlog. And I've just been curious about different ways of thinking about how I fit inside an organization. So it comes from a very personal perspective. And a theory that he's evolved on and calls PST the pioneer settlers and towns planner model, it kind of breaks things down into categories where there are different types of individuals inside an organization that get certain things done. And they have this sort of evolutionary connectivity across the three of them that adds value to an ecosystem. And he breaks them out in such really nice swim lanes that I actually found myself finding that there's a lot of value to figuring out which one I wanted to be or which one was I naturally. Are there other ones that I see myself in and do those things sort of align? Reflecting on it, I got to a point where I'm like, oh, that actually makes a lot of sense and helps me understand how I relate to other types of workers inside my organization. Hey, Matt, do you want to go ahead and kind of lay out what the pioneer settlers and townspeople are? Sure. It comes from this basic idea that there are three very important types of work inside a business, and they fall into these categories that you can define by the names. So a pioneer is kind of that true creator, that renaissance mind that is very loves to deal with rare problems, poorly defined ones, is really happy with failure and experimentation and uncertainty, 
And then they, they use some certain tactics that are advantageous with that mindset, like agile methodology to software development versus the next one down the line that actually steals ideas from the pioneers in order to improve them is called a settler. A settler is more of a growth kind of personality, somebody that likes a maturing product, so not something that's constantly changing and not something that's standardized just yet, but somewhere in between, and is happy with very different things. But to continue on, the town's planner, they steal from the settler and are happy with the more well-defined, metric-driven, scientific model-based things and use practices like Six Sigma to standardize practices and improve upon them. So each one has their place and gains value from their collaboration with the other one. But as Simon puts it, each one steals from the next one to add more value to the ecosystem that they're a part of. Right, right. And I guess we should point out, he does give credit to Robert X. Cringely from back from in 1993, talking about kind of the three kinds, these three kinds of work. Robert actually refers to them as commandos, infantry, and police. But actually, I like, I like the pioneers, settlers, and, and town planners better, too. As do I. I like the evolutionary aspect of it. So, Matt, which one are you? And were you surprised? You know what? That was tricky. Uh, actually, after I looked into it, I found I, I hit right dab in the middle at the settlers, which was you know somebody that likes to deal with a growing market um, maturing products. So it's it's already been defined, like, and it needs a lot of finessing to be valuable. And the more I read about this, it just falls right into my personality where I love to deal with evolving ecosystems and market analysis. And when I look at the other options, like a pioneer who enjoys uncertainty and doesn't necessarily want to be customer facing, like a settler is kind of this community builder by its very nature from what I'm seeing. This this person that wants to be in the middle connecting a lot of dots and improving things for everyone else. And as much as we joke about metrics here, I actually really don't like being metric driven. I just like deriving metrics from things because I know they add value to a business. Because I think organizationally, towns planners tend to float towards the top of an org chart because they help sustain the ecosystem. So, I, I mean, the language-wise, I'm already explaining like how this has helped me figure out some interactions with other people. But And were you surprised? Not really. I guess at first I was like, um, some of the pioneer things, like I jump into stuff very quickly without knowing what will come of it. So I'm like, oh, I'm a pioneer. And then I'm, the more I thought about it, I'm like, no, I really don't like those things. I don't like what the pioneer category likes. And I really like what a settler likes. And I don't enjoy what a town's planner likes. So that's what I enjoyed so much about this model that it didn't seem too sort of flaky. Like you can see yourself in everything all at once. It's very much like if you like this, you probably don't like that. I think there's value to each and every one of us to understand how we could fit in a model like that, especially if it has so much impact on the industry the way Brian's been blogging about for work. Brian, how about you? Which category do you fall into? I think in general, I've... You know, in terms of maybe the last four or five different either jobs or projects I've worked on, I, I think I fall into the the uh, the pioneer category. And pioneer is a, f- a funny thing because it's I think it, it can kind of take one of two connotations, right? One is, for example, like most people who I don't know create a startup or something, you would probably say they they fall in the pioneer category. Essentially, they're they're taking a big risk. They're kind of dealing with a lot of uncertainty. They they enjoy the the newness of it. And then there's there's people who 
maybe don't do that within a startup, but do it in a larger organization, but are kind of the people who uh, look at things and go, boy, we could do a lot better, or you know, we, we should move into something new and, and tend to sort of raise their hand when, when somebody says, hey, um, I'm not sure if we should go down that path, but if you're willing to do it, uh, if you're willing to sort of take that, that risk, then I'm you know, willing to you know, fund it a little bit and, and help you do that. So I think I, think I fall in that category. Um, I think looking back at, at my career or even over the last three, four or five years, I, you know, I, I don't know that I'd recommend that path for, for a lot of people. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, uh, it, it is sort of fraught with peril and has, has lots of creates lots of red flags and stuff. But, um, you know, there, there's, a certain, there's a certain element of it that sort of draws me to it. Which I feel like uh, I'm I'm well documented on the story that you were absolutely my first mentor. So I don't know if this is a cautionary tale of check in to see if your first mentor when you change industries is a pioneer. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> because, well, it might, I mean, it might be because the, it, yeah, I mean, there's there's probably been times when I've when I've given you advice and it was sort of from from the perspective if I put myself in your shoes that I might do. So yeah, that's that's definitely something to sort of uh, another Myers Briggs type of test to to validate against people. Well. So, Brian, how do, you, how do you think pioneers need to act inside of a large organization and not get arrows in their back? So let me, let me give you an example, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll sort of try and make this very uh, real for anybody who listens to your show. So you had Chad Sackage on uh, a couple months ago, and I know, I think you had said that's one of the shows that, that got a lot of attention. Chad talked about, you know, in a large organization, um, there's lots of inertia that sort of prevents you from wanting to do new stuff. Uh, in the technology industry, there's always people saying, well you know, why do the big companies let the little companies sort of disrupt them? I mean, they, they have the technology, they have the resource that shouldn't happen. Um, we all know from having worked at large companies that there's just a, we've got to make money for the quarter kind of thing. So to give you an example and to tie it back into Chad's thing, I got asked uh, about a year and a half ago, and it wasn't really an ask, it was just sort of a, hey, what do you think, to go work on open source stuff at EMC, which on the surface sounds unbelievably kind of stupid and crazy because you know, open source and EMC, the two words are whatever is the extreme of oil and water. But because of that sort of like oil and water. Yeah. But, you know, like, you know, the super Castro oil, you know, and the pure water from the mountains. <laughs> but, <laughs> so and that's but, how the cattle got dysentery and died. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it sort of to, to finish the example. So I, any sane person would not have necessarily done that because you'd have gone, well, how in the hell are they going to make sense of that stuff? For some reason, I, I signed up to do it. I think I got enamored with the idea of starting something new. And to sort of close off the story, uh, you know, it, it did reasonably well. It made some traction. It scratched the surface a little bit. And I think in Chad's example, he was talking about what do you do when you have people that are problematic in your organization? And I think Chad's word was bad apple. And he said, well, you, you know, you have to sort of figure out how to either tell them to leave or you guys selectively decide to leave. And that's kind of what, what happened with me is we, we ultimately decided like, hey, this wasn't going to continue to be a good fit because you get frustrated when you're trying to start something that's really new that basically runs in the face of what any large company does. And this isn't a knock on EMC by any means. You, as the person leading it, are going to come across in a lot of cases as being kind of bitter. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to be like, why can't you see what we're seeing? We're making progress, blah, blah, blah. And, and so I think, you know, if I, if I was giving advice to people like within a large company as a pioneer, you have to sort of gauge for that. You have to say, look, I'm taking a lot of risk there's a good chance that if you understand this pioneer settlers and, and town planners model, you're probably not going to be the settler. There's going to be somebody who's going to come along and probably take over your group and help it grow and mature. 
And so what you really probably are looking for is either a really, really good air cover person, somebody who's really going to protect you and and fly over you and, and help you out. And the other thing I would say is make it worth your while, like financially, you know, make it worth your while to take this risk because there's a very good chance that at the end of it, people are going to either say you should move on or you don't have a career path doing this stuff or whatever. Treat it like a, like a startup founder and, and somehow make it worth your while. And, and again, I think the parallels to, to being sort of a startup founder are very similar. You know, you, you take Diane Green as an example at VMware. She got it to a great point And then somebody said, well, let's, let's help it evolve and we'll bring somebody else in. You know, she got rewarded for doing that. And then somebody else came in. You know, Paul was a settler for what VMware was. There's lots of parallels you can draw to how these things play out in large companies. And oh, oh my God, did I, I didn't, I, excuse me, I didn't mean to compare myself to Diane Green, right? And so please don't take it that way either. I, <laughs> the little bit that I did was like a, like a scout Indian or something like that. She did major big things. <laughs> well, I just want to jump in and say, I'm going to have to firmly come down in Pioneer Camp. Again, tying it back to what I said before. I think when, uh, I am teasing you a little bit, but I think if your mentor is a pioneer, and you're a pioneer, then you don't think it's weird that you're out pioneering. So it only becomes surprising the first time you get shot. Because I do think pioneers get shot. And I think the first time it happens, it's surprising. Mm -hmm. But a benefit of having a pioneer mentor is that, you know, they probably have some first aid supplies and they can help you figure out uh, how to do the next thing. Teach you to patch your bullet holes. Yeah, that's really interesting, Amy. Now, do you think you you had an affinity towards a fellow pioneer uh, mindset and you wouldn't have connected if you had a mentor of a different sort of approach? Or do you think that was just a coincidence? I think there's got to be, I don't believe in that kind of a coincidence. I think the reason I kept coming back to Brian to ask questions was because I appreciated how he navigated the waters and the advice and the feedback. So I think you, in the end, it's funny, that could take us down a whole other interesting mapping of like, do you need uh, mentors out of all three categories? Because one of the things I like about the model actually is it doesn't create hierarchy because I don't think that's helpful. It's not that one is better than the other. It's just you need all the different types to work together. You don't, can you imagine if your company was entirely pioneers? It would be nothing, what would ever happen? You know, yeah, what I, would get maintained? Ever? We all have an idea of that kind of, company in our heads and they don't last forever. That's for sure. I think it's really powerful to think about that, right? That we have an affinity to go towards a similar mindset. I know I like people that are community oriented and are looking to grow and improve something that's already out there. That's that's my inclination and I want to be around those people. But then I lose out on the opportunity to really pull great ideas from pioneers and to also see how a talent planner can mature something that I don't actually understand how to bring to that steady state and keep it there. Like, so it's actually about admitting what you're good at and that you need diverse groups of people in your life um, and in your team. That's very powerful. Completely agree. I think it, I think it is useful to sort of think through and again, to create a model where you can look at your own strengths without making it be hierarchical. It makes me wonder John, did we manage to put the Geek Whispers together to have three people from different groups? Uh, n- you know, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's hard for me to think that you would be a town planner, but I thought I'd throw it out there. No, no, not at all. <laughs> I am personally a pioneer in terms of kind of predilection. But professionally, especially at this point, I am a settler. I'm a professional settler. 
Ooh, interesting. Yeah, well, because I go off and do stuff, and then I get paid to come back and explain what I have done. So I show people how to skin a deer, you know, build a wall or whatever they need to do. And I think it's very obvious. You know, you just cut here and tear here and, you know, hang it here. And I don't know. I've never skinned a deer. I'm just making all this up. (laughs) But, you know, you tweet here and you put that kind of a picture and, no, that's not professional enough. And, no, I wouldn't say that. And, oh, my God, don't you know the grammar, the there, the there, and there. You know, just stuff that I know. And I explain it to people. To them, it's kind of uh, revealed wisdom. So they pay me. It doesn't seem very profound to me, but I've been there. I've been out. I've been out in the mountains, (laughs) killing bears with my bare hands. And so uh, I teach. That leads me to a really interesting question of, I was going to ask if you guys thought that you could change types. And it sounds like, I really like your point there, practical one of a wise person figures out kind of where their heart is and also what the need for a particular business or what serves a broader objective. Right, right. No startup is just going to pay me as a consultant to just go out and like make shit up. That's just not the way it works. (laughs) They might pay an employee that maybe. (laughs) What Simon says in many of his posts is one thing that we've already hit on, but I just want to make it perfectly clear. It's that all three of these personalities are brilliant people. They all add so much value to an organization. But if you think about the sort of value that they can derive inside an organization, pioneers are going to have a tough time being understood. They're doing something very unique that adds a lot of potential value, but until it's refined, it just looks like they're off experimenting and wasting money, potentially. And towns planners, like they're the steady state people. They're usually seen as a cost center. If you think about IT day to day, they're ops. Um, So settlers are the people that gain the most benefit from this sort of model. And I think that's probably why you have that dissonance in the way you categorize yourself, John. You know, but it's interesting. I wonder if IT is changing. And, and maybe we can get into the Gartner stuff here. Because there, so there was a book in 2005 called The Visible Ops Handbook. And the authors were Kevin Baer, Gene Kim, and um, Spafford. So this was a book about IT in 2005. And they did a survey of high-performing IT organizations in 2005. And then they looked at the backgrounds of the managers. And they came up with the most high-performant common backgrounds of IT managers were Army non-commissioned officer, chemical engineer, and accountant. Those were the top-performing IT managers that they found, the commonality. So that sounds to me like town planner, right? Those three professions are not known for attracting either pioneers or settlers. They're people who are about, they're about process and organization and discipline, um, reporting, compliance. So one of my questions maybe to Brian is, has the role of IT and technologists within an organization shifted in the last 10 years? Yeah, I think in that context. So, so, let, let's, so I think that's great context. And, and for anybody who doesn't know Gene Kim, who you referenced, Gene Kim's also the person who you know, wrote the Phoenix Project and runs DevOps Days. And, you know, so, so what IT looked like in 2005 and what IT looks like in 2015 is, has changed or at least is beginning to change. Yeah, I was hoping that was kind of a softball to you. Yeah, there you go. So, so I, think, I think what it really kind of boils down to is, you know, what you used to get rewarded for in IT was stability, right? Because the systems needed to run. They needed to, to be up all the time. They were, they were driving internal productivity, they were, 
paying bill, you know, people were, were, were doing online credit card transactions. It was, you know, it was, it was about stability. So if you think about that, you know, chemical engineer, very data driven, doing things via test has a procedure, the army officer, again, very procedural driven, the, the accountant, very rules and process driven. And then you look at, you know, the companies that are, that are disrupting IT and disrupting people's businesses. And you say, well, if a company today, so if you're in the automotive industry or you're in the finance industry or something and you're, you're afraid of Tesla or Uber or you're afraid of Square, you've got to figure out, okay, how do I use technology to go fast or to experiment? And, and I think that's where IT is, is in this interesting place right now because you have this dichotomy between basically decades of being rewarded and doing building designs and building software that was about stability And now you're moving into where you're saying, well, how do I introduce also kind of not so much chaos, but the ability to to go faster. Usually going faster means a little more uncertainty and experimentation and things that are a little more unknown. So what it's uncovering, at least in this, you know, sort of three tier architecture is how are you going to have coexistence between the town planners, which are, you know, kind of your traditional IT and some mixture of pioneers and, and settlers who are trying to help that part of the business that now thinks it needs to go faster. What terrifies me both in this three-phase model and in the Gartner two-phase model is that the new stuff seems much more interesting. And I don't want to live in a town without town planners, right? I don't want to live in a town without sewage. I don't want to live in a company without email servers that that run all the time. Right. (laughs) Exactly. I always died of dysentery on the Oregon Trail, which should surprise no one. (laughs) Well, and, and I think what you're what you're bringing up is is essentially the the difference between this this three tier model and this in this two tier model, right? The two tier model, the the Gartner bimodal model uh, that people have heard of, in essence, is saying the older stuff, the town planner stuff, the stable stuff, is what they call mode one, and and the newer, moving faster stuff is what they call mode two, and they're kind of saying, you know, as an IT organization or as a business you've got to start picking where you're going to put money in. Are you going to put budget to the left or budget to the right? And and what it does is, you know, at, at the most simple level, you go, oh, okay, well, there's the fast and the slow. Or there's, like you said, there's the interesting, and then, then there's the plumbing and the sewage, which isn't interesting. And what that creates is this potential to say, okay, John, Amy, or Matt, would you like to be interesting or would you like to be sewage? That's your choice. <laughs> Please choose a group because you will you will be in that group for a while. What? Why didn't we write the trimodal? Clearly, <laughs> interesting sewage and what's in the middle of that pipes. Well, so so here let me, let me contrast that right. So the contrast of of the the sort of three tiered mode I, I I call it trimodal because it sounds you know it's easy it rolls off the tongue fits on a slide. What you're seeing more and more is you know you you go to events like Gene Kim's DevOps Summit. And, and it's a really kind of a unique event. It's, it's, it's not like the typical sort of open source event where, you know, Netflix is featured and Facebook and Twitter are featured. It's companies like Nationwide Insurance and Target and Nordstrom and, you know, the U.S. government. And they're saying, hey, we've figured out a way to do combining the old with combining the new. And the way they're doing that really aligns exactly to this sort of three-tiered model. Somebody in the organization was a pioneer. They went out and built this, you know, rough prototype. They kind of figured out something new. So I'll give you an example, like Target two years ago, the people at Target would have never, ever thought, 
oh, there's going to be this thing called Pinterest where every you know, woman on the planet who happens to be the dominant buying you know, party in, in the world, you know, women buy more than men, are going to all share their ideas on this website. And wouldn't it be interesting if there was a way to link that really cool new technology into our web systems and then our buying systems, right? So somebody at Target went off and figured out a prototype for doing that. But then they got smart and they said, well, wait a second, it's going to be dumb if all I can do is display it on our website. I would like to make it a transaction. Well, if I have to make it a transaction, I'm going to have to build a way to make it get back to my Oracle database or my mainframe or some old thing. And they link together the pioneer group that built the prototype, the settler group that knew how to sort of mash the things together, grow those ideas, and the town planners who maintain the old systems. And, and Gene's show, his entire event is dedicated to basically people who are figuring this thing out. And if you look at it, none of them are bimodal. Every single one of them is trimodal. And they're all fairly successful. And you know what? I think it makes sense. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think in some ways, models that are successful reflect what is good and true and working, as opposed to some harebrained scheme that sort of forces you into a file you don't feel comfortable in. Mm-hmm. And and also, again, the other benefit here is there is hierarchy. I think through the 80s, so much of what was done in corporate America and IT in general it was far more pyramid, top-down, trickle-down, all those terms, right? And this concept of, again, valuing people where they are and also not trying to have it be trimodal doesn't necessarily mean third, a third, a third, right? That right. there you can ratchet up or down depending on what your needs are, et cetera. There's a lot more flexibility. It creates a model of respect. And, and I guess sort of asking that next question of how important do you think it is in these models, and as we all evaluate our career choices, that you get filed in the proper context. So if you're a town planner asked to do a pioneer task, I can't imagine that's going to turn out well. Yeah, and I, and I think that maybe the simplest way to think about it, and again, nothing, you know, Matt, Matt pointed this out in his, in his blog post, uh, you know, sort of making broad sweeping generalities always tend to, to sort of frustrate people because there's, there's always a unique individual's case who goes, no, 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 I'm, I'm not an Aquarius. I'm not a, a whatever. INFP. Yeah. That's yeah. I'm not, a, yeah. I'm not an INTJ. Aquarius would say, Brian. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Matt, you know, I, you're, you're sort of a bearded hippie, but you know, you're not a homeless guy. I, I understand that. I know you personally. <laughs> I'm not going to make that broad generalization. See, you know, that's all see, I want. see, there you go. But Happy no. New Year. <laughs> um, but no, I, I mean, I, I think, yeah, you, you probably would have a hard time jumping, you know, from the left side of it, from say pioneer to town planner, you'd probably get really bored to go from town planner to pioneer. You're probably going to think the world's on fire, but transitioning maybe one step from left to right is possible. And it's, I mean, we know lots of people that in their teens and their twenties had one behavior and in their thirties and forties, or if they had kids or family, they, they sort of transitioned, their risk profile became different. You know, I think people people can transition. I think it's I think it's possible. I, I don't know that you would do it necessarily. You know, two steps at once, but one step over time is is definitely. Um, I, you know, I can think of lots of examples of people who've done that. No, I think that's actually a great point. And again, conversely, because I must be I must be the negative space person. I can see the problems that would ensue if you have your business 
uh, terribly misaligned. Like, like I said, all all jokes aside, the idea of a an all pioneer business, it would be one of those classic stories of immediate bomb, right? All pioneer energy and no. Yeah, I've known startups like that, but they, they don't. They stay startups. Yeah, and, and simultaneously, I think that if you, as a business person, you have to kind of tweak the knobs and make sure the categories are appropriate for what you're trying to achieve. And as an employee, as a person trying to drive your own career choices, I think if you found yourself repeatedly in roles where you are misfiled, then you don't you don't do your best work. Problems arise. You might be on a put on a get well plan. Like you said, you either get bored, you misbehave. It's a uh, using that teenager analogy. I don't know what what do you guys think about that? I can it, it just pops in my head of some level of self awareness here about what you're good at and where you like where your energy comes from is a great guidepost to figure out the kinds of work you want to do, where you'll be happiest and most productive. Yeah. When when I think about models like this, I'd like to really emphasize that it's just a model. It's a way that can either help or hinder the way we think about something. What I like about this is that it categorizes things in meaningful ways. You can think about your interactions differently. But in the same way, like if you are naturally an introvert, you can train yourself to be more extroverted. If you're more of an extrovert, you can train yourself to kind of take a step back or two. You can move around in these things. But it's it's less about that, and I think it's about lining up with what makes you great. Like, what makes you great at your work? What makes you great for a business? What makes you happy in your day-to-day job? And that is where the power comes from, not in its, like, you know, absolute truth of these categories. It's that it allows you to clarify where your role should begin and end in the very, honestly, gray lines between orgs these days. It sounds negative, but to ask the question in another way, because I do always have to ask that negative question, do you think that people somehow, especially in our industry where it can be looked at as either you're interesting or sewage, do you think that people who are either settlers or town planners feel forced into behaving like pioneers or claiming they're pioneers or taking on a task like that to their own detriment or frustration? Yeah, I think there's lots of misrepresentation, especially as companies get bigger. I think people like to pretend that they're pioneers. As companies get bigger, you know, there are more and more town planners because there needs to be. Yeah. You do these innovation programs and they struggle. But yeah, then when they actually have the pioneers, they don't know what to do with them. I thought that was an interesting part where the model broke down just a bit for me was the, I think it was Wardley's comment that pioneers don't disrupt because it's the concept, it's tabula rasa, so there's nothing to disrupt. But I would argue, and again, just having lived my life, having lived my career, the very act of being a pioneer in a particular environment can be disruptive, especially if you're in a more settled environment. And maybe the processes there need to change a bit because something new needs to happen. And I I don't have much to say on the misalignment, but in the same way that people use Myers-Briggs to talk about communication styles, I think inside an organization, and I'm not a huge fan of Myers-Briggs, there's a lot of problems with it. One way you use it is that you you realize that your coworkers have different styles and need to be communicated to differently. So I think you could also use this sort of model to try to remember that, you know, your boss's boss's boss may have a different mentality than yours. And when you show them the cool thing you just did, 
you have to translate it back to terms they will understand. Yeah. The, the, the other thing I would say, and, and I don't want to turn this into a, an academic exercise, but we, we talked about Simon Wardley early on. I'm, I'm a big fan. I, I highly recommend his stuff. It can be a little bit intimidating. But the other, the other piece to go look at by him, if you're, if you're into some of this stuff, he writes a whole bunch of posts around what he calls situational awareness. And the reason that one's an important one to sort of pair with this one is you may very well decide like, I'm a settler, I'm a pioneer, I'm a town planner, whatever your personality match is. But if, if situationally the company that you're going to work for is in a certain state, you know, and, and, and he lays out, you know, three or four kind of common states, there's sort of new stage for, for an industry, it's become a product, it's become a commodity, it's delivered as a service. You also see, need to sort of understand where the company is or where an individual group is. Because if, if you're a town planner, you're, you're very happy being a town planner, you're an excellent town planner, and you take a job in a group, even if you know, you're an accountant and you go, hey, most accountants are town planners, but you go work for a group who is, is in a huge you know, innovation cycle and they're going through rapid change and rapid disruption in the marketplace, you may very well find that the task that you think you're good at, it could be marketing, it could be accounting, it could be whatever, just isn't going to fit with where that group is right now and the pace they have to go with or the cha- you know the amount of change they have to deal with. So that's the that's the yin and the yang to sort of balance against, you know, are you the right personality type or you know your personality type? It's, you know, situationally, where is the group I'm going into at this point in time and, and where are they moving toward? And part of why I like this and I think why I'm sort of honing in on it is around this time of year, you hear from a lot of people, and I think probably all of us do, the Geek Whispers by virtue of the things we talk about on the podcast, Brian, you being long time in the industry and having had uh, a lot of different experiences, we get asked questions by people who are feel like they're stuck. That's that's the psychological term too, I think. You know, they feel stuck in their career. They, they feel like they've plateaued. They aren't quite sure what to do. And, and sometimes I think these models and, and what you just referenced, Brian, can be new ways of conceiving the issue, the challenge personally to sort of figure out what's next. And, and, and we can all relate to it. I, I, you know, I use an example, Matt, you know, Matt was at Basho, Basho, the size of the company where they're, you know, where they are in the industry is radically different than, than what Intel is at. And while he may do a job that has a similar title in terms of community and advocacy and all those things, you know, you got to take into consideration, you know, where do they stand in the market? Um, you know, what can they help me potentially do? And, you know, anybody can apply all these things. It's, it's not unique to people that you think are just rock stars or people that are just, you know, well-known in the industry. It, you know, it can apply to anybody in, in any job. It's a great point. And uh, another anecdote, at EMC, when I joined the community team, it was to build some sort of community advocacy program and that was very much kind of like the settler moment where it was already defined and just no one was able to do it. And I'm like, yes, that's perfect. I can do that. And after a year and a half of it being successful and going on, I was looking around like, okay, so who takes it on now? Who, who keeps this going? Because I need to go build something new or refine something new again. I see in retrospect that my dissatisfaction with just maintaining that one task going forward was really just that's aligns very clearly with my preferences. Nice. So as we wrap up the show, uh, I can't resist, Brian, I have to ask you my favorite question, which is 
in regards to all this and as it's as this trimodal thinking has shaped your perceptions what <laughs> maybe it's advice you'd give me if i came and asked this today instead of 4 or 5 years ago what is one thing that you would do differently what would you with this model in mind what would you change what would you stop what would you not do the same way i i think so i'll i'll take a i'll take a pioneer perspective just so my thing would i would say a couple of things number 1 don't <sighs> You know, even though there's examples of people like Christopher Columbus and Lewis and Clark and people that went off on their own completely far away from the people that funded them, you know, our industry is so communicative oriented. If you think you're taking on a pioneer role, pioneer project or whatever, be very close to the people that, and, and I mean, physically close, communitively close to the people that are funding you, that are providing you air cover, because they they will provide you so much more than than you think you can do on your own. Make sure you're you're in the office, you're having frequent meetings, you're just talking every 10 minutes or so because the, the the pace that you're trying to push change and the glass that you're sort of breaking, you know, you need to talk about it. You need to tell people what you're planning to do and you're going to surprise some people. And so, you know, proximity and, and communication frequency, I think to me is, is the biggest thing if, if you're going down the pioneer path and you want to continue to be successful and not not get shot or not, you know, come across as, as a bad apple, as Chad said. <laughs> I, I think those are, are great words to live by. No, no pioneer is an island. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because we see how that went for Columbus. Not so well. You know what, Brian, I really, really appreciate you taking the time and helping us kind of expand some new ideas and new ways of thinking. You certainly, you and Matt introduced me to, so much appreciated for, for taking us to another level. Where can people read more, follow some of the research paths you've taken on this? Yeah, so, uh, you know, work-wise, I've been writing a whole bunch of this stuff at uh, wikibon.com slash cloud. So it's the cloud section of Wikibon. My stuff's all there. And I'll, I'll plug one other thing I've been doing just because I'd love for people to give me feedback. Um, I, I felt like I wasn't doing enough sort of day-to-day community interaction. And so I started this little thing on Periscope that I do in the middle of the day, kind of East Coast time. I call it... Uh, liked, learned, and let's do better. It's about five minutes of of live video. I find one thing I liked in the industry, one thing I learned from, and one thing that hopefully with some guidance or some feedback, the industry will do better about. And so I do them every day. If you see me uh, tweeting hashtag LLLDB, I'd love to get some feedback on it. Like it's stuff that I think is maybe interesting to people and it's learning and, and technology and skills. And I think I'm, I'm doing a, a cloud one, an application one, a DevOps one, and a career and skills. So love to get some feedback from people if you get five minutes to, to give me some feedback. That sounds awesome. And of course, for anybody who doesn't know your Twitter handle and where else they can, they can look for you? At B. Gracely, uh, at my first initial last name on Twitter is the easiest way to find me. And I will respond to tweets and DMs and things like that. So happy to happy to help people, happy to answer questions or to learn from others. Excellent. And, you know, Matt, I have to sort of treat you a little bit like a guest here too. I know we're going to share the blog link. Any other sort of thoughts as we close for other places where people can kind of follow your research path? Oh, sure. I mean, this has really just been a a side hobby to figure out something. So the framework of the PST personality types falls into a bigger idea of value chain mapping and its evolutionary nature as Simon Wardley has explored. So highly recommend just going right to the source to his blog 
uh, which we will link to in the show notes. Well, with that, I guess we have to go back to uh, doing some town planning so we can actually get this episode out. <laughs> Ugh. Oh. Well, thanks, thanks for having me on, guys. I love being on the show and uh, love love what you guys are doing and, and uh, love that uh, you guys are branching out and John's doing new things and, and people are taking on new roles. So appreciate you guys letting me be on one more time. Well, thank you as always. Glad to have you. It's the last time. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> it was worth it. It was awesome. Thanks for coming. Thank you. And until next time, that's Geek Whispers out. You've been listening to the Geek Whisperers podcast, where we bring social media and community to enterprise IT. You can listen to all the episodes at our website, geek-whisperers.com, or check us out on Twitter, Facebook, or iTunes. Your hosts were John Mark Troyer, Amy Lewis, and Matthew Brender, better known on Twitter as Jay Troyer, Comms Ninja, and MJ Brender. See you next week.